Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Wednesday, January 4th. Amanda Borchel-Dan here with our legal and settlements reporter, Jeremy Sharon, and diaspora affairs correspondent, Judah Ari-Gross. Hello to you both. Morning, Amanda. Hi, Amanda. Both of your beats are bursting with stories this week. We'll discuss the refusal of Israel's attorney general to defend a ministerial appointment. We'll also talk about the non-evacuation of Chomish. Maybe yes, maybe no. Some of Ari Derry's first policies as interior minister and a follow-up on a story we've been discussing about Poland asking for reparations from Germany. So first, a short break. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachuk's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachek Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek Team at www.sarachecklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. And we're back. Yesterday, Attorney General Gali Baharav Miara has announced that she will not defend the appointment of Shas leader Aryeh Deri as interior minister or health minister even in high court justice proceedings. How rare is this refusal, Jeremy? So this is a, it, it is a pretty rare step. It doesn't happen very often at all. There was one recent incident back in, I think, 2018, when the former Attorney General Avichai Mandelblit refused to defend the government's uh, law, which had just legislated retroactively legalizing settlements built on private Palestinian land. So that was um, another example. But as I said, they're very rare. And the fact that she won't defend the government's position is a kind of, you know, rebuke to the government saying she doesn't believe that this is in fact uh, appropriate. So we reported that Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu had a meeting with her discussing a split to her role. Is this some kind of reflection of that future split? Well, I, I'm not sure that's the case. The The right wing in Israel has for several years sought to split the role of the Attorney General, claiming that it's, there's too much power in one position and that there's also a conflict of interest between the different jobs which the Attorney General has, a legal advisor and also the responsibility to defend the government the government's position in uh, legal proceedings against it. So I think, uh, you know, there is there is a lot of tension between this Attorney General and the new government. She spelled out her opposition publicly to the legislative agenda of the new government. Uh, even before she did that, several MKs from the Likud party were calling for her to be fired if they would win the election. That's because she was appointed by the previous government uh, at uh, the beginning of 2000 and, uh, 2022. And she's seen as like, you know, a political plant by the former coalition. So there's a lot of hostility to her in, in the current coalition. And she is has made her position plain that she opposes a lot of the uh, legislative uh, ideas of, of the new government. 
her role as it stands now is pretty independent and pretty powerful. She can have the choice to, quote unquote, not play ball. Do you see uh, this judicial reform of splitting her role happening very soon under this new government? Or what kind of apparatus needs to change in order to change this role? It does require legislation, and the government is preparing a whole package of uh, legislation to reform or overhaul the Israel's judicial um, system and its legal system, and also it's the system of appointing judges. In the coalition agreements, it spells out that the uh, all the parties of the coalition have to support all legislation proposed on those issues and that those issues are going to have a high priority. There has been some speculation that because it's quite complicated legislation and it's very controversial, that it might be pushed off until the the Knesset spring session, um, which would would start uh, sometime in April or May. So we might see a delay until then, but I think the government is uh, pretty determined to ram through those those changes because it's one of the principal policy items on its agenda and which, you know, the parties of the coalition campaigned on. Okay, now, Judah, yesterday you reported on a first dairy policy as interior minister. This isn't his first stint in the role, so he jumped right in by creating a new policy, at least announcing a new policy, that new immigrants are required to prove they've settled in Israel in order to be eligible for an Israeli passport. This sounds like it'll throw a huge spanner in the works for immigrants. Yeah, so just to be clear, this is sort of a statement of intention. Nothing has actually changed on the ground yet. In order to change things, uh, new legislation will have to be passed. That's just more of a matter of time and less of a question of if. Um, This is something that, broadly speaking, this coalition supports. And even members of the opposition have said they don't really have an issue with changing the passport law. Basically, what happened was uh, in the past... Uh, you used to have to wait a year from getting Israeli citizenship to getting a passport. Um, And then in 2017, a law was passed that allowed people to get a passport immediately, even though there was a lot of pushback against that, you know, even at the time um, that this was going to be abused and people were going to get passports, even though they weren't really planning on sticking around. And in recent weeks, that's come up um, considerably, specifically about uh, Russian immigrants, because there's been some relatively large numbers of people who have immigrated or made Aliyah to Israel from Russia um, and then returned to Russia. And now there's a reason rationale behind that, uh, which is that currently it's very hard for people to get money out of Russia. Um, And so in some cases, people wanted to get citizenship in order to sort of establish themselves as Israeli citizens and then go back and sort out their affairs before coming back to Israel permanently. Um, But other people see it as sort of a form of opportunism, that they're sort of taking advantage of the system. And and so this has sort of driven some of those narratives. Um, And so this would be not a return to what was of having to wait a year, but instead you'd have to somehow prove that uh, you're settling in Israel, that you're permanently sort of settling in here. And so right now the population authority has been instructed to sort of come up with that mechanism for how you would prove that you're settling in and plan on staying indefinitely and making your home in Israel, as opposed to just, uh, you know, coming in and getting a passport and then uh, going somewhere else. So not a return to the laissez-passer policy that I entered Israel under, but a new kind of uh, mechanism that is somewhere in between, it sounds like. We'll go to a short break now. Shalom, dear listeners. This is Daniil Hartman. And I'm Yossi Klein Halevi. Together we host the podcast, For Heaven's Sake, from the Shalom Hartman Institute. 
These have been some of the most challenging days for me personally, for Israel, and for the Jewish people. And one of the ways in which I've gotten through this is that I found solace and meaning through discussions with my dear friend and study partner, Daniil Hartman. And I hope that the Times of Israel listeners will join us as we continue to tackle the pressing questions facing the Jewish people here at For Heaven's Sake, which has become the number one Judaism podcast. Well, Daniil, I'd also like to recommend the Identity Crisis podcast hosted by our colleague and friend Yehuda Kurtzer. It's a series of fantastic conversations with leading figures in Jewish life, thought, and culture. You know, for decades, the Hartman Institute has been a preeminent destination for Jewish ideas and learning. Now you can access Hartman Ideas on these chart-topping podcasts at shalomhartman.org forward slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We are privileged to help guide you through these challenging and even unsettling times. And we're back. Jeremy, turning back to you, on Monday, the state informed the high court that rather than demolish the Chomish outpost, it has decided to legalize it by repealing part of the 2005 disengagement law. Chomish, as we all remember, and three other settlements of the West Bank were also evacuated along with the Gaza settlements during the 2005 disengagement. So what was the reason then, and how is the state justifying this reversal? So Chomish was originally established in 1978, largely on private Palestinian land um, belonging to uh, landowners in the nearby village of Burqa. Um, and then, in, as you said, in, the 2000, in 2005, under the disengagement law from Gaza, four other settlements were evacuated, including Chomish. But settlers came back and rebuilt um, a, a kind of an illegal outpost at Chomish on several occasions. And it's become um, a strong ideological battle by the settlers to to hang on to 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 this outpost. Uh, but Yesh Din, uh, an Israeli um, human rights organization or civil rights organization, has campaigned on behalf of the Palestinian landowners to ensure that they get access to their land, which they are currently denied. And in 2019, they submitted a petition to the High Court demanding that uh, the state allow them access. Last year, the the court demanded that the state respond, and the state said, uh, this was under the previous government, that they acknowledged the, the settlement was on private Palestinian land, and they agreed to evacuate the illegal outposts at Chomesh, uh, but did not set um, did not set a, a timeline for its evacuation. So the court said, we want to know what's happening in two months. But during, in, in the meantime, the government fell and we now have a new government. This new government is ideologically committed to expanding the settlements. Uh, it says so in its guiding principles of the coalition. And in a court, in a court hearing uh, earlier this week, the state announced that instead of evacuating Chomish, it actually intends to repeal the, the sections of the 2005 disengagement law, which evacuated Chomish, the three other settlements, and actually prohibit Israeli settlement in, in that area. So, so it, 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 as the, the government appears, you know, as I said, to be ideologically committed to expanding the settlements. It's also uh, ideologically committed to opposing a Palestinian state. So it, it, it is, it, I think it would be almost unthinkable for this government, given all its commitments to its voters, that Chomesh will actually be evacuated. And it seems, it seems to be that, that it is going to go ahead and, and try and legalize the situation. And just find the legal mechanisms as they go along? 
It will require legislation to, as I said, to repeal the 2005 disengagement law. The question is whether or not the, that will satisfy the court, because even in the hearing earlier this week, uh, the, the Supreme Court just, uh, Supreme Court President Hayat and another one of the Supreme Court justices said, you know, okay, so you can repeal the 2005 disengagement law, um, but how, how does that contend with the fact that this settlement is or this outpost is built on Palestine, private Palestinian land? So, you know, it, it's it's unclear how the the government will deal with with, with that specific issue uh, to to the satisfaction of the court. Okay, now turning to another hot button issue, Israeli and diaspora based heads of top international Zionist groups sent a joint letter to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu this week, warning him against his incoming government's plan to alter the law of return. This seems like a semi strong step for leaders who tend not to air Israel's dirty laundry. Would you agree to that, Judah? Yeah, you know, there's certainly been cases in the past where leaders of these organizations, which is uh, the Jewish Agency, the Jewish Federations of North America, the World Zionist Organization, and Karen Hayisod, sort of all got together. They've they've sent letters to prime ministers in the past about um, issues that they consider important, um, but this was definitely seen as highly irregular, fairly dramatic, um, in that it wasn't them raising concerns about things that are happening and asking for the government to intervene, um, but rather that it was sort of specifically calling out the government and its plans. Um, Specifically, you know, it said more generally things that uh, relate to the diaspora, issues of um, sort of uh, religion, you know, religion state issues um, that can affect the the diaspora. Um, And it specifically sort of zeroed in on the law of return. The incoming government um, has plans to alter the law of return, um, specifically the the so-called grandchild clause, um, which grants citizenship to anybody with at least one Jewish grandparent. Um, Exactly how the government is going to change that law is not clear, but in all of the coalition deals, it says it's going to alter it in some way. Um, And so this is something that, you know, before the government was officially formed, you know, after the elections, this is uh, issues that were raised um, by a lot of um, a lot of different organizations, especially in the U.S. Um, But the organizations in question here sort of very were were much more cautious and sort of circumspect in how they discuss the issues and sort of stress the importance of unity. Um, And now that this government has been formed and they're beginning to advance legislation, um, the heads of these organizations sort of came out with this very public letter in English, you know, not just in Hebrew, even though it was mostly led, you know, even though about half of the people uh, who signed the letter were Israeli and represent sort of Israel-based organizations, um, you know, the letter was sent in English and published widely, um, you know, saying, please don't do this. This will, you know, negatively affect ties between Israel and the diaspora. So going forward, it'll be very interesting to see sort of how these organizations deal with the incoming government with its policies that it may disagree with. It has come up in the past. There is uh, in in 2017, after then also Prime Minister Netanyahu froze uh, the Western Wall Compromise, which was sort of spearheaded by the Jewish agency, a lot of these same voices came out and raised a lot of these, you know, similar concerns. Um, And in that case, they very specifically said, you know, we serve, you know, we're dedicated to the state of Israel, to the Jewish people, you know, not necessarily to the government of Israel. Um, And it'll be interesting to see if they take, again, sort of a little bit more of a hard line approach. And, you know, while they'll still almost certainly cooperate with the government on certain things, if they sort of draw some some lines, uh, you know, some battle lines, I guess, going forward. 
Okay. And just to end up with, uh, give us a brief update on a story that we've discussed several times before on the podcast. Yesterday, Poland said it was informed by Germany that Germany does not intend to engage in negotiations on any World War II reparations as Berlin considers the matter closed, as we've talked about before. So has Poland actually exhausted all of its avenues now, Judah? I, I mean, I think this is something that Poland brings up not infrequently. Um, I think a lot of the uh, people that I spoke with about this see this as sort of see this whole issue of Poland demanding reparations from Germany as being more of a diplomatic and domestically political issue than, a, you know, a quest for historic justice um, in a real sense. The the Germany's case, you know, claim is that um, this was resolved in 1953 after the war. There was a reparations agreement signed and that that's sort of where the matter ended. Poland does not see it that way because of a number of different things that were happening, you know, the Soviet control, the division between East and West Germany at, at that time. So they see the matter as still being open-ended. Germany doesn't. Uh, no one, I think, really thought that Germany was going to say, okay, here's $1.3, uh, $1.4 trillion. But it's certainly a matter that Poland will continue to bring up because it's a, sort of a matter of domestic policy, this, um, this legacy of World War II, especially going forward as Poland is putting in there's lots of sort of geopolitics that are at play, especially with the uh, war in Ukraine happening next door. Poland putting in more money into building up its military and looking for compensation and recognition. And th there's lots of sort of different things at play that don't really have to do directly with World War II and the Holocaust. So I, I don't imagine we're going to see much more in this vein, but sort of broader talks between Poland and Germany about uh, uh, cooperation and uh, burden sharing will, will likely continue going forward. Okay, thanks for the update. Thank you both for joining me today. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you, Amanda. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. And be sure to check out our weekly feature, Times Will Tell, released every Friday. Until next time, Shalom. <laughs>